Thank you, Cassie. Chris. If you would turn with me to Psalm number 3. Psalm number 3. We'll look at a passage in the Psalms, and then we will turn over to Jeremiah chapter 29 uh, and kind of follow up with an example from the Hebrew people of what Psalm 3 is kind of expressing. And I think it's a truth that is expressed in our life as well. There's a philosopher, he was an American philosopher named William James, who wrote a small piece on epistemology, which is just the study of knowledge. And what William James held is that there are certain times in life that you must have a will to believe. What that means is that it will not be apparent to you which is the right case. In other words, it may very well be that you cannot make a decision on empirical evidence. You will not have the evidence that uh, is necessary to make a decision one way or the other. William James held that religious belief was uh, of this nature. And at certain points and times in life, you just simply had to have the will to believe. It would not be apparent to you. It would not be apparent that you were holding a falsehood. If there was enough empirical evidence against what you held, you had to give that belief up. But in a situation where there was two choices and neither one of them was a clear choice, then sometimes you would just absolutely have to have the will to believe. I think there are certain times in life and I think there are certain times in our faith and in our walk with God that we must have the will to believe. It will not be evident. The truths of God will not be evident to us. Even the presence of God will not be evident in our life. It is a situation where we must have the will to believe. In other words, in my life, whether I feel God's presence or whether I feel as though he is holding me fast or whether I feel as though his death has given me righteousness or or whatever the case may be, the things that we sung of this morning, it may not feel in my soul, it may not feel within my heart that these things are a reality. Matter of fact, maybe not even to the point that it just does not feel like that, it may not seem empirically true that these things may have some type of justification to their belief. But there is a sense where I must then will to believe so that I can continue my faith in God so that I might be carried on. What William James says is if we find ourselves willing to believe in God, then we may very well find this relationship that brings the greatest meaning to our life ever. Guys, I believe there are moments in life where we just simply have to will the belief. We have to will to believe in the things that God said and the things that God has told us are true. We have to will so that we might stand upon his promises. We might have to will so that we truly understand how God can hold us uh, in his hands. Here in Psalm 3, we will read a psalm, and, and the psalm expresses some of these notions, at least. In Psalm 3, beginning in verse 1, it says, O Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? Many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. But you are a shield around me, O Lord. You bestow glory on me and lift up my head. To the Lord I cry aloud and he answers me from his holy hill. I lie down and sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. I will not fear the tens of thousands drawn up against me on every side. Arise, O Lord, deliver me, O my God. Strike all my enemies on the jaw. Break the teeth of the wicked. From the Lord comes deliverance. May your blessing be on your people. Salah. Here the psalmist is clearly in a situation in life where everything is pressing in on him and he is surrounded and everybody who sees his situation, everybody who takes notice of his situation in life has given him up. 
basically has turned him over and says that you will never make it. Your enemies are too many. He starts the psalm out by saying, look at the number of my foes. They have surrounded me, and now they are coming in against me, and they're pressing against me. There are so many who stand opposed to me and against me that how can I survive this? How can I move forward? How can I go on? Anybody who looks at his life would give him up for defeat. Anybody who looks at his life would say that he has been forsaken. He himself, if he looked at his circumstances and he looked at all the ones who were opposed to him and against him, he would hand over his life to defeat. The psalmist says, no, I believe that salvation comes from the heel of the Lord. Salvation is in God. He is my shield. So no matter how many surround me, whether it is tens of thousands, and no matter how many press in upon me, and no matter how much danger is sensed by the circumstances in my life, I believe that God will deliver me. And that is where my deliverance will be. Guys, we may not understand exactly what the psalmist is talking about because most of us have never been in a situation where we are truly surrounded by foes. Many of us might not be able to relate to the fact that there are people around us that want to take us out. Maybe we've never been in a situation where we just kind of thought it was time to give up on all of it and just say, I'm done. But here's the psalmist being surrounded. Here's the psalmist in such dire circumstances that anybody who would look at his life would say, there's no way he's going to make it out of this. And he's saying, my God is my shield. My God is my deliverance. My God is my fortress. My God is is the only one in whom I can depend. Because there will be occasions in life, whether you've faced them uh, by now or not, there will be occasions in life where it seems as all obstacles are moving in upon us. We are surrounded by foes and those who wish to do us harm. Any person with common sense who would look at us would think that we are defeated in that instant. In those moments, we must will to believe that God is our deliverer. We must will to believe that God is our shield, that He is our fortress, and it is from His holy heel that our salvation will come. This is not just a mere cry of empty hope. That the psalmist says, please God, strike them. Please God, back them away from me. God, crush their teeth. This is an act of belief. It is an act of faith. Knowing that God is present. It's what faith is all about. Faith is to believe in things that are unseen. In other words, we don't have empirical evidence. We don't have just a a plethora of things to, to depend upon as far as knowledge is claimed. What faith is is to say, I know above all else my God holds me in his hand. And no matter what life may look like around me, no matter what may surround me, I know that I am in his right hand. And there's not a thing in this world that can take me out of his hand. It is a beautiful passage when you read Romans chapter 8, when it talks about how we are more than conquerors through Christ who saved us. And it tells us that we cannot be taken from the hand of Christ, from our God. Guys, that is a strong belief that we hold. And it is something that sometimes we have to wheel ourselves to believe. For it feels as though we are crushed. It feels as though we may be destroyed, but we stand firm in the belief 
that not that we have the power to overcome, but that Christ has given us the ability to overcome through his death and through the shedding of his blood. If you would look with me in Jeremiah chapter 29, I would like to look at a passage that kind of mirrors what the psalmist is talking about in the life of Israel. Jeremiah chapter 29, beginning in verse 1, and in this text you will hear probably one of the more famous verses out of Jeremiah that is constantly quoted by individuals. It is in this text that it shows up. But uh, chapter 29 of the book of Jeremiah, beginning in verse 1. This is a letter that is written to the exiles. So notice that the Hebrew people, the Jews, have been taken into exile into Babylon from Judah. And they find themselves in Babylon, and this is a letter that is penned to them. It says in chapter 29, beginning in verse 1, This is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders among the exiles and to the priests and the prophets and all the other people Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jehoiachin and the queen mother, the court officials and the leaders of Judah and Jerusalem, the craftsmen and the artisans had gone into exile from Jerusalem. He entrusted the letter to Elisah, son of Shaphan, and Jamari, son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to King Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon, and it said, This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down, plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there, do not decrease. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because it is prosperous. You too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Do not let the prophets and the diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my gracious promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope in a future. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. And will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I banished you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. This is one of my favorite passages in Jeremiah. Actually, there's a number of passages I love in Jeremiah, but this is one of my favorite passages, and it's just a letter to exile. And one of the things that the letter states starting off is get comfortable. I mean, think about how they would have received this letter. They've been carried off from the promised land. They've been carried off from Jerusalem. They've been carried off from the city of God. The people of God no longer are inhabitants of his land. And they've been carried to a foreign land, a foreign power, evil people. Nebuchadnezzar has won the victory and they've come back there and most certainly probably there's some slim hope in the Jewish mindset that we will return very quickly. Maybe this is God just getting our attention and he will bring us back to the land and he will establish us like all his promises have said in the past. And the first part of the letter, what does God say to him? Get comfortable. God, settle in. 
marry, raise your families, find wives for your sons. Matter of fact, when they have kids, find wives for them too. Basically what he's saying is you're going to be here for the long haul. This ain't going to be over very quickly. This is not something where I'm just simply getting your attention and I'm bringing you back to a place of prominence. Settle in. What do you think about the circumstances of the Jewish people at this time? They were taken from their land. They were ruled by foreign governments. They were ruled by a foreign leader. They would have been, at least in their mind, it would have appeared to them that they were in an evil empire, so to speak. In, 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 in the New Testament, Rome is referred to as Babylon. The Jewish people would have felt as though they were so far away from God. And God tells them, settle in. Don't be here alone. Guys, there's times in our life that, that we go to places and, and we may want it to be a quick turnaround. We might want it to be a quick result. Sometimes it takes a process to get us where we're going. And we live in a society of instant gratification. We live in a society where we want things right away. My son reminds me all the time that he is not a patient person. Now that we go to school together, this is not healthy. But since my doctor is not in this congregation, I will tell you. As we go to school, we stop at McDonald's for breakfast. And I got to get out of that habit. I know I got to get out of the habit. But I do get oatmeal, which is probably the healthiest thing McDonald's sells. But I'm still pretty sure my doctor would not approve. And, and my son tells me so often because, believe it or not, McDonald's sometimes referring to themselves as fast food is not true. I could go out and cook the oats myself go gather the fruit from the trees and chop it up myself, put it together and eat it by the time I get a little bowl of oatmeal out the window at McDonald's. And my son often tells me that he ain't patient. And it don't help me because I got one foot on the accelerator and one foot on the brake trying to get the car to move out of my way and play, praying that my food will come out the window quickly because usually I'm running a little bit behind, but I make time for my McDonald's. I think it will be good for the kids at school because... I go past hungry to hangry very quickly. Uh, so so we, we try to fill my stomach. We're not patient people. If i got to wait five minutes for food to be passed out of a window, it agitates me, it aggravates me. I'm not patient. We're instant gratification. I mean, I, one of my favorite foods at Thanksgiving is macaroni and cheese. I was told by a grown-up one time that I like kids' food. I've got no complaints about it. That is some good stuff when it is done right. And I can remember my grandmother cooking macaroni and cheese. And I'm going to tell you, it was some of the best macaroni and cheese you ever had in your life. I mean, I don't know the different kinds of cheese she melted on there, but I know it was a lot. The noodles were cooked to perfection. Man, I miss my macaroni and cheese this Thanksgiving from my grandmother. That was a great dish. Now, macaroni and cheese comes in a little blue thing that you add water to and pop in a microwave, and it's fake cheese. But we do it because it's out of the microwave in a minute and a half, or three minutes. I forget how long I cook it. Guys, 
we are a society that wants things extremely quickly. And sometimes we want our life fixed very quickly. We want God, and, and, and do not get me wrong, God is a, a, a God of miracles. God is a God of restoration, and God is a God of redemption. But I will tell you, sometimes the redemption is a process. Sometimes the restoration is a process. God has to bring us to a place where we may need to be broken before him. God needs to bring us to a place where we can humble ourselves and seek his face. And sometimes that's a longer process than we really want because we want it to be quick and we want it to be immediate. And sometimes it's just not. To have the life that you want with God sometimes requires patience. Patience is one of the lost virtues in our world. Guys, we have to will to believe that God will carry us forward, that he will restore us, that he will redeem us, and that he will hold us fast in his righteous right hand. But it may not be in the blink of an eye. And what he basically tells the Jewish people is settle in. Not only will it be you, but it will be a generation. Settle in. This evil empire that you look upon that is Babylon, hope that it prospers. For if it prospers, you will prosper because that is where you will be. Sometimes it takes a while. And God is reminding his people to remain faithful to him while they are in this midst. And then what does he say? He gives us that wonderful verse. The one that we quote all the time. Listen as he says in verse 10. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my gracious promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. God looks at his people and he says, I have a plan for you and it is to prosper you. I have a plan for you. It is to uplift you. I have a plan for you. It is to protect you. I have a plan for you. I want you to shine like the stars that are in the heavens. I have a plan for you, and it is a marvelous plan for you. It is one of love and grace and mercy and all the things that we sung of this morning. And I will bring you to fruition. I will bring you to completion. Have a plan for you. But to get to that place that he envisions for us will be a process. It will be a journey. Guys, the Christian life is not about one moment in time. The Christian life is about every single day of my life. It's about every day when I open my eyes saying, I want to serve God this day. It's about every day when I open my eyes saying, I want to submit to his authority on this day. And that decision does not carry me forth to the end of my life. Every single day when I wake up, I want to journey with my God. And I have faith that if I do that, then what my God has for me is the greatest of intentions. But I want you to think about the Jewish people. Because when God looks at his people and says, I have plans to prosper you, and I have plans of greatness for you, I have plans to restore you, 
as they looked around, the setting they were in was Babylon. And sometimes it may be very hard to grasp those words when you're in Babylon. In other words, when your life is where it, you just don't think it should be, or you have not come to the place in life that you want to be, or you just don't see how you can get beyond this day or the next day, or you don't see how God can use you for those plans that He has for you, hard sometimes when we look around us and we see Babylon, but we hear the words of God saying, I want to prosper you. I want to bring you to fruition. I want to complete you. I want to do such wonderful things in your life. It's so hard to believe that. I encourage you to have the will to believe. Believe that God, even when you are surrounded by the greatest number of enemies that you've ever had in your life, believe in God when we even had the greatest failures of our life. Believe in God when we are just sunken down so low and it feels as though we are in quicksand and it is pulling us down ever so slowly. Believe in your God that He has plans for you. He can restore you. He can deliver you. He can bring you to the place He needs you to be. For our God is a God of forgiveness and a God of restoration. Guys, as the Jewish people lived in Babylon, these are the words they received. Now, I want you to hear what he follows that with when he says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I banished you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. How do the plans of God become realized for the Jewish people? How do they move from Babylon to the restoration that he sees in their future? How do they go from this place of, of this kind of evil empire back to a land that he had promised them to be built and restored? They had to come to a place where they would seek him. They had to come to a place where not only would they seek him, but they would seek Him with their whole heart. Guys, I've got no question in my mind that everybody in this congregation this morning seeks God. We all seek God. We probably most likely would not be in church this morning if there was not some element in our life that was seeking after God. But the question I have for each of us is do we seek Him with all our heart? That's a different question. There are things that I like in life. There are things that might even qualify for the word love. But then there are things that I treasure with my heart. There are things that I love with all my heart. And where we've got to get 
if we want those plans that God has for us and we want that restoration and we want that forgiveness and we want to be taken from this place of desolation to this place where God intends us to be, we got to get to a place where we seek Him with all of our heart. Sometimes that's a process. Sometimes it is a journey. It is a journey to bring us to a place where we can rely on God solely. It is a journey to bring us to a place where we understand that we need God more than we ever thought we might need God. It is a journey to a place where we must be humbled and He must be glorified. It is a journey that we must all take. As we travel into the season of Advent, for next week begins our journey of Advent, an expectation of the Lord's coming into our life, into the life of our church, into our hearts. We expect not with empty hope, but we expect with realized hope that our Lord will come. Not just to a manger 2,000 years ago, but to a life here in 2017. We expect the presence of our God. We long for it. We pray for it. And we rejoice in it. For it is when we seek Him with all our heart that His plans are realized in our life. Do not waller in self-pity and bitterness. Seek out the restoration that only God can give. And find the comfort of existing in His righteous right hand. Knowing beyond any shadow of a doubt, there is no principality, no power of this world or beyond that can pluck you from His hand. May we honor our God with our life. And may we journey in faith to become solely His, seeking Him with our whole heart, knowing that He has already sought us through the death of His Son, the blood of Christ, so that we might have redemption and that we might have life abundantly. May we seek our God this morning as we go before His throne. Let's pray. God, we come before You this morning and we pray. We pray, God, that wherever we are in life, we will not lose sight of the one who may elevate us out of the muck and the mire. Lord, a pit of despair so often grasps our ankles and lowers us so very quickly, many times, Lord, overtaking us altogether. We may very well feel as though we are drowning. It is you and your love that can lift us. We pray for that restoration. Lord, we understand that it may not be a quick process. It may not be a magical process. It may not simply be a process where an incantation may be spoken and a new life begun. But it is a process that you are willing to change us inside and out. Lord, it is a process where our sins can be washed white as snow. It is a process where, Lord, we can become beautiful child of God that you intend us to be. It is a process where we can embrace the plans that you have for us and for our life. God, allow us to begin that journey. 
this moment. Teach us. Humble us so that we may search you with our whole heart and that we might know what it is to lean upon your everlasting arms. We pray these things in your most holy name. Amen. We'll have a time of invitation this morning. If there's any decisions that need to be made in a public fashion, feel free to come forward at this time. If you'll please stand.